0: early career recruitment the strategies to help you succeed will help you work with generation Z, with all the information that
1: you'll need it's the jack and ollie show okay hello and welcome to the early careers podcast with myself ollie sidwell and me jack denton Uh, So today, we are in the final podcast of Series 6, would you believe? Golly gosh. Final. Unbelievable. So we've covered a range of areas in Series 6, from uh, learning development programs in apprenticeships, we've talked about predictions for 2021 with Stephen Isherwood, we've learned about sustainability with Laura Yates, Uh, and today we're coming to our first Vice-Chancellor. Very exciting times. So, our first Vice Chancellor, let's give him a bit of an introduction, shall we? So, in name, uh, Professor Robert Allison, uh, better known on campus at Loughborough University as Big Bob. Um, he's been at Loughborough for nine years. And during that time, there's a bit of a roll call here. So, I'll, I'll list a few things. Um, the university has gone from being a top 20 university to a top 10 uh, status across almost all the major tables, uh, Loughborough both Gold for teaching in the Teaching Excellence Framework, first in the Times Higher Education Student Experience Survey, University of the Year at what Uni Student Awards last year, and as a final one, it's the best university in the world, sports related subjects. Quite the range of accolades. Quite the range. Uh, Bob, how do you feel about all that?
2: Well, Ollie Jack, I'm delighted to be with you all. Thank you very much uh, for inviting me to join you. Uh, of course, the first thing is it's a huge privilege to be part of a university which can have that string of honours and awards after its name. Uh, but also it really says something about the community. One of the things that we're really proud of and that our students talk about a lot is the notion of the Loughborough family. You only achieve those things by everybody pulling together. And of course... It's about what we can offer the students that come here, but it's also about what we can do to enhance their skills, their employability, what they give back to the place. And those accolades are evidence of that, and I'm grateful to each and every one of them.
1: Wonderful. You, you touched on employability there, and that's going to be the key theme for today. So what we want to explore is probably three parts, and we'll touch on Your role as a VC, uh, understand a bit about what you do, being the the first one on the pod. Uh, We'll then discuss about employability and everything that Loughborough is doing from key initiatives uh, to metrics that make uh, employability such a big focus of the university. Uh, And then discuss the future of universities. Get your take on what you think the next five or ten years is going to look like for universities. But let's start with your role. Um, So you're a professor. So you've come through the academic route. So How did you get to become a VC?
2: Um, So uh, I um, went to uh, a local school in North Yorkshire, um, and I went on from there to study geography. Sometimes people say, why was it geography? And the answer to that is pretty easy, actually. It's probably the only subject at school where I had inspiring teachers throughout the entirety of my secondary education, Um, And then from there went on to do uh, a PhD, uh, a second degree, what's called a high degree. And from there, I must be honest uh, with you, Oliver, I've had what someone would describe as a a fairly boring academic career uh, because it followed, you know, lecturer to professor. Then I became head of department um, and then uh, was responsible for a group of subject areas in the university that's called a dean. Then went on to be uh, uh, a deputy vice chancellor, and now a, a vice chancellor uh, at Loughborough. And, and in doing that, I've moved around quite a bit. I've had jobs at University College London, Durham, uh, Sussex, and then finally I saw the light and came to Loughborough.
1: <laughs> yeah, so, so you, I guess you've gone there through the, the, the relative stages up through the university ranks. Is is that imperative to do to, to understanding the role or the whole actual? future of how, how it all pulls together.
2: So, so I want to say it's in uh, absolutely essential. I mean, there are lots of extremely good vice chancellors who have come through different routes. Uh, what I often say um, when I'm uh, invited to talk about my role is what's really important is that you understand the DNA of the university that, that you, you're, you're leading. Um, But also, you really understand your role. I mean, when when I started my job on day one, no one gives you a book saying this is how to be a vice chancellor.
1: And, of course, you could argue that
2: there are all different sorts of parts to my job. But I think the most important thing for me to do is to understand and listen to my colleagues and understand and listen to our students and work with others to build a platform Through which they can succeed, because if they succeed, the university succeeds. Um, We've got uh, nearly eighteen thousand students here, uh, about four thousand staff. Um, We operate in two places in the East Midlands, in Loughborough, and also we've got a campus on the Queen Elizabeth Olympic Park in London. Um, We have an annual turnover of around about three hundred and sixteen million pounds. So it's a big organisation. But my role, I sometimes uh, put put it like this. Um, If you imagine an orchestra, um, the best orchestra in the world is the best orchestra in the world because there's the best violinist and there's the best flautist and, you know, there's the best trombonist. The conductor helps them all come together and make the most beautiful sound. And if you do that, people will want to come and listen to you. And I often say that that analogy uh, plays in the same way for me. We've got outstanding people. What I do is a little bit of the conducting, hopefully to bring everybody together so we have the successes that we're all proud of.
0: And I guess with that kind of role, you've got to balance many different things because you've got many different competing interests. And I guess ultimately you need to decide on which things you feel are the, are the most important for, for the university and for the students?
2: So that, that, that's a very interesting comment. And, and of course, the answer to that is yes. I mean, one of the phrases I've heard throughout my career, both at the universities that I've worked with and elsewhere, is what's more important in this university? Is it the research or is it the learning and teaching? And I've always been very clear at Loughborough, that is the wrong question. They're both important. Uh, What's right is how you get the balance between those two so that they can exist in um, a happy juxtaposition. So I often say to my colleagues on the staff, when the students arrive in the first couple of weeks of term, the students and the learning and the teaching is absolutely our top priority. Helping new students arrive settle in and get the curriculum going. Once it gets to the summer vacation, I say to our students, you're not the priority. You need to understand you go off, you do some travelling, you go off on a placement, you may have a job to go to. What the staff are doing at that point, it's like a, a fourth term where they're concentrating primarily on their research. But if you get that balance right throughout the year, Both of those two things can exist in juxtaposition quite comfortably together and you can have the successes that push you up up the the, the league tables. I think the final thing I'd say with regards to the students, I'm a great believer that if you listen to students and if you give them responsibility, uh, they will take that responsibility seriously. I mean, let's look at this university over the last 12 months. We've had one of the lowest... Covid infection rates in the UK. Uh, right here, right now, there are only three cases on the campus um, out of, remember, 17,800 people. If that figure was reflected in the national population, we would have no lockdown in the UK. But let's hope we get there soon. But more importantly, the students have worked with us over the last 12 months So we've been able to deliver the curriculum. We've been able to deliver the degree programmes. When they've been in Loughborough, they've been able to continue to play sports, even if it's just been outside. Um, But also uh, they've uh, worked with us around being really, really innovative around those things as well. Do you think that
0: um, the average student or the average member of the public really understands how universities um work in the sense of these different competing um parts of a university so it's a research body that's adding to the to the body of knowledge that exists in the world and it's also a place where people uh educated are formed as a as a person because i mean at least from my own point of view especially when i was an undergraduate i essentially saw university as a massive high school it's like i finished high school i'm now going to go to this I need to go to university because I'm told it's the next step. And do you th- uh, maybe it's just me, but do you think that might be um, a perception that people have? And do you think that more needs to be done to help people understand the institution of universities and what they are and how they benefit individuals and society? So
2: look, you, you, you make it a, a really interesting point in, in, in your question. Um, Uh, And I think it's actually rather deeper than than you describe. I'm sure that many students and many of the public don't really understand the complexities of an organisation as large as a university. But I I also think um, some of the staff don't understand it. And in making that comment, it's no disrespect to them. There are some staff here and they don't need to understand. I mean, let me put it like this. Um, When I was an undergraduate, when I was a postgraduate, when I was in my first academic job, I didn't. I'd never met the Vice-Chancellor. I, I knew there was a Vice-Chancellor but I didn't know who that person was and I didn't know what they did. And um, a computer suddenly appeared on my desk on my first day as a lecturer. I had no idea where that computer had come from or how it had been paid for or, or that there was an IT department that would, w- w- was providing support. But the point was, at that point in my career, I didn't really need to know. Um, what I say to early career researchers at Labra is all I want you to do is some of the world's best research and if you do that and uh, uh, you know Oliver's mentioned sport early Jack mm-hmm. you become the best in the world at it and you then perpetuate that reputation that is the juxtaposition to come back to the question that Oliver asked me earlier between my what my job is and what the job of a, a new early career Lecturer is. It's their job, as it was mine at one point in my career, to teach really well, to do really good research, and so on and so forth. You don't need to worry too much about the uh, infrastructure that sits behind you that allows you to do that. At this stage in my career, my responsibility is to work with others to make sure all of those resources are there so those brilliant researchers can do brilliant things. And then when they're teachers, those brilliant teachers. Can do uh, brilliant things. And then let me just offer you one further thought. Um, one of the things that we have at Luther University at one end of the campus is a science and enterprise park. It's the largest, uh, it's the most rapidly growing science and enterprise park attached to a university in the UK at the moment. Now, some of the businesses that we have spun out from research that goes on in our university. This is about taking original research. Spinning it out, to create companies that then commercialize it. But we also have companies that come and choose to locate there because they see their great opportunity by being working in partnership with the, the, the university. The most recent one is um, an IT company has relocated to our science enterprise, but in doing that, they've created 400 jobs. So, so that's a really good example of the role that the university has. And the more we do of those sorts of things, the more the public understand a little bit more about what we're about because those things are,
1: are tangible to many more people. Mm-hmm. It really becomes part of the community, doesn't it?
2: Because especially certainly, someone... Yeah, certainly in somewhere like Loughborough. If you, you know, we have a, a small market town here um, and um, remember what I said, there's about 17,800 students, 4,000 staff. N- number one is, if you put aside the NHS, and by that I don't just being hospitals, I mean the totality of the NHS, Loughborough University is the largest provider of jobs, creator of jobs, in the East Midlands, because in addition to that 4,000 staff that we employ, there are over two thousand jobs on the science and enterprise park. That's six thousand jobs that the university um, either pays the salary for the staff or that they've created, um, and you know that's that's quite a significant impact on the local economy
1: here. Yeah. Mm. yeah, it's really interesting, and reaches far greater than I think and everyone really imagines. And I think the science and enterprise park takes us quite neatly into. Um, Thinking about employability and actually the role of employability, because when you think about enterprise, certainly from my experience, uh, I went to Loughborough and uh, benefited from winning the university business plan competition, which helped set up and give us the seed funding to start Rate My Placement. So uh, very much see that myself as a, a huge route into uh, employability. But what role do you think enterprise will have and continues to have. Um, what do you mean by enterprise,
2: Ollie?
1: Sorry? What do you mean by enterprise? role of enterprise. I think they say uh, entrepreneurship. Um, I'd also ask Bob what he thinks of the term enterprise, because we do use it uh, at Loughborough as well.
2: So um, let's think about that in the context of a 16 or 17-year-old who's thinking of applying to university. Now, those young people um, at that age stick a UCAS form in, um, and through that, they will win a place, hopefully, to go to the university of their choice. Now, they've got a great big variety of universities to choose from. And the question is, what sort of university do they want to be at, and what do they want to get out of it? You know, we're not the middle of Manchester, or Birmingham, or Leeds. Um, we, all of our halls of residence are on our campus in a student village. Go to somewhere like London, and most of the universities don't even own their halls of residence. Uh, they're owned by third party providers. So, so, so the universities are, are, are very different. A line which I think is absolutely common to every single university, doesn't matter which it is, is an undergraduate at the start of their three, four, or if you're on a placement, maybe even five years, is doing is committing one of the most important parts of their life, the final bit of their education for many of them, and a significant amount of money to the university where they have chosen to go and study. And in return for that, the university has a moral obligation to provide an outstanding opportunity for those people to develop talents and skills and ability that get them into the sort of job that they want. Now, of course, part of that's the degree. I say on open days here, you need to understand, and I say certainly to our first years when they arrive, working hard and passing your exams is... Uh, and non-negotiable. If you do that, all sorts of other opportunities open up to you. Actually, do too much of the other opportunities and fail your exams, and everything is taken away from you. But then once you've met the academic commitment that we ask you to meet at Loughborough, it is so much more than that. We have a programme here called Personal Best, And the notion is personal best sits beside your degree and helps you develop skills, talents, abilities that enhance your employability. Uh, So, you know, being the captain of of one of our major sports teams, you're developing all sorts of skills as part of that. Um, Around enterprise innovation and entrepreneurship, this is about saying to a young person, If you've got a bright idea that you could turn into your own business or your own company, if you could commercialise it, that's what you did when you graduated, uh, Oliver. What we will do is help you understand how to turn that idea, that vision, into a reality. And I often say to students who go into our student incubator, we have a student incubator here to support students who are wanting to do that. Don't worry if your first idea doesn't necessarily work out. Some of the, the, the best ideas in the world either happen by chance, or happen because the person learned from the first idea uh, not quite working. And through those sorts of different pathways and different routes, you get to the end of your time at opera, you get your degree, and um, you've got all of this evidence, around the skills and talents that you have nurtured and developed in yourself because of the other things that you can do while you're here. And my view is we should get you into a position where you can do all sorts of different things. Some go on to win gold medals at the Olympic Games, and some going to work for some of the country's biggest, um, and these are international roles, these aren't just roles in the UK, you know, the biggest and most successful companies Rolls-Royce, Ford, EY, PwC, some set up their own companies and those companies become hugely, hugely successful. But the point is, during that journey, while you're here, as well as developing as an individual, you work out what you want to do and which of those different pathways is is the right one for you to take. That's what employability is about, in my view. But it's also about the difference between saying no, I do want to become a lawyer or I do want to become a qualified accountant going this direction or I've got this idea myself that I want to nurture and develop, I'm going to be a bit of an enterprising person, I'm going to be a bit bit of my own innovator and I'm going to try and make that idea work in the way you yourself did.
1: Hmm.
0: So um, it seems to be that employability is important for many universities and it seems to be particularly important for, for Loughborough. But when you look at um, lots of graduate recruitment firms um, – sorry, graduate recruitment programs, and you look at how they assess candidates, about 20% might be academic, and the rest is em- is employability, other employability skills. Do you think that universities should have it as part of your course, so a part of your module? So you actually – so instead of just studying, you know, whatever modules you're doing, but you also study employability?
2: So. Uh, That's a a, a really uh, interesting question. Um, I don't think you develop your employability skills by doing a module around what employability means. But there are ways through your taught programmes where you develop skills which then do transfer into your working life. So so let let me offer you some examples. If you're doing a degree programme, in this university, in science and engineering. And the 10 graduate level, we have more scientists and engineers in this university as a proportion of the student population than any other university in the UK. Um, you will do practicals in teams. You know, you in your working life, Jack, will work with a team of people. Um, you will have some people who work with you that you really enjoy working with because they're working hard. You may, if that's against you, on an occasion have someone who's a bit of a slacker and that will frustrate you as a student Um, and I say to students when they occasionally say that's the case yeah, life will be like that when you go into work you will have a group of people you will work with and you will get on better with some and some will work harder than others what you're doing now is you're experiencing working life it's just you're experiencing it uh, as a student Um, and then There are other things that you will have in your working lives, Oliver and Jack, that I've had in my working life uh, that students can learn through their academic programme as much as other things, but not because they're doing a module in in employability. So let me give you some examples. There will be some occasions when you've got deadlines you've got to work to and you burn the midnight oil to get the deadline met. You do that as an undergraduate sometimes when you're doing your essay. You will have to pitch to clients to win business. You do that by making a presentation with your group as part of your degree programme where that presentation is marked. You um, will have to occasionally um, meet um, and, and, and memorise and learn the information. So when you're doing those pitches to clients, you're on the ball. That's what an unseen examination teaches you how to do. It teaches you how to memorise information, work under some degree of stress, and then recall that information in a structured format. So some of the skills you learn by being the, um, you know, chair of your hall committee or by being someone who runs RAG uh, to raise money for charity, some of those skills you maybe learn by being a club captain in sport, or in um, one of the other huge range of clubs and societies that ex- exist in the university, but some of them you also learn through your degree, and it doesn't matter whether you're doing mechanical engineering or history or English or geography, which was my subject. Providing the degree programme, <coughs> excuse me, presents you with those opportunities. At whatever the subject, you have the opportunity to develop those talents as well. The skill in my view comes in you being able to explain to a potential employer how you've developed those talents so that employer or whether it's the organisation that you work for Jack or the organisation that I work for says yes uh, that individual's got just the sorts of skills and and and, and talents we, we want in this organisation. So it's so about collecting those skills but also then being able to say what you've learned in that way so you you, you win out in the job competition.
0: Yeah, I think that makes sense. But there is still a gap, isn't there? Because employers say that when people come to them, they're missing on particular skills. And rather than thinking about just a general employability program, I would talk about more specific things. So we know, for example, what we see, for example, say candidates um, who have multiple social mobility indicators, they tend to do poorly in the assessment and selection process on particular types of assessment because they might not have come across them before or they might not have anybody within their network who can help them understand what might happen so let's say it's an assessment center or video interviews or imagine you go to an investment bank or a law firm and you have to sit in front of you know three partners in a very fancy building that you've never been to before that can be a real challenge and you could have you know the best qualifications from the best university but there's numbers of people who fall through the gaps. So I just think potentially there could be more that could be done in that, that space. So rather than just general employability, you know, a careers advisor saying, you know, you should keep your CV up to date, and that's, but more kind of practical things that people um, could, could apply, perhaps.
2: So I think you're right. But I would also argue that part of the problem there lies with the employer, because if they're not using assessment methods to bring out the best in people, shouldn't they be doing that?
0: Yeah, potentially. Yeah, I mean, it is. I mean, the thing with lots of these things is, just the per, the person who suffers is, is the is the individual student. So it could be that academic institutions say one thing, employers say another thing, career service say another thing, but it's about trying to get those people together to create something that works for for everybody. And every, and everyone's got their own sort of view on the best way to do it. But it, it's almost like there needs to be a more coherent, joined-up view, kind of like, you know, um, all the different bodies together to say, look, what are we trying to achieve here for, for student outcomes or whatever it might be? And what could we do that works for all of us, potentially? I don't know, maybe that's fantasy. No, I
2: think you're right there. I mean, certainly we do our utmost to listen to employers a lot. Um, Let me tell you the other thing that I think comes into play, and I say this because during the last 12 months, one of the things that I've done is um, some, in in fact, quite a lot of training around this. Um, I think there is no doubt about it that in situations like that, unconscious bias often comes into play. Mm -hmm. And I think that um, there are many people that could understand that better. I'll give you a very interesting example of that, not with regard to students and their employability, but research in universities is, is funded through government, through something called UK Research and Innovation, and there are research councils. One of those research councils, over the last 18 months, So the the idea is you're you're an academic, you've got a bright idea, you write an application and you stick it into the Research Council, it's reviewed, peer-reviewed, and if it's regarded as being good, um, then then it's funded. I mean, if it's very good. I've chaired chaired one of these committees at one of the Research Councils. The notion is that a Research Council in the UK will fund research if it's, amongst other things, the top 5% of research in the world in that area. So the UK Research Council fund this country's very best research. One of the research councils, and I'm being a little bit um, careful here um, uh, by not revealing the name, but one of the research councils did a round where people could submit applications, and the applications went out to referees uh, with the name and the institution of the applicant missed off the outcome of that research grant round was statistically significantly different to others. Where some institutions that historically got more money got less, and some individuals in institutions which historically got less money got more. That can only be for one reason, unconscious bias. Because you see, the name of the institution and the name of the individual and you're automatically thinking, this is probably going to be a better idea, or is this going to be a, a weaker idea? I don't see what else it could be, and I think that plays out in society, and I think it plays out when people are employing or when they're seeking employment, and that's a real challenge.
0: Yeah, I'd say 100. percent I know that's a big issue that you know many employers talk about as well. That they try to change, train their staff, but it's it's actually a very difficult thing to. To try to correct.
2: Yeah, I, I, I agree. I agree entirely. Uh, I, I think there are some other things that play off in a very, very different way. Um, so I'm in the university today, um, and uh, you would never ever see me on the campus at any hour of the day or night, uh, walking around without a shirt and tie. And if I come to work during normal working hours, I've always got a suit on. Now. When I started my career as a lecturer, I never dressed like that. Uh, In other words, there is a notion, there is a construct or an idea of what you look like. I mean, look at the difference between maybe people in arts and people in engineering. And um, as a consequence, you have a construct in your mind of what someone should look like um, for a particular role, dare I say. Um, And those things play out in, in ways that, and certainly this is what I learned from my training, you've got to be very careful. It's not about you consciously thinking that, but unconsciously slotting into a mode where those things work for or against someone, where they're not part of the job description at all. You know, when you applied for your job, when I applied for my job, I bet you it didn't say, we expect you to wear clothes that make you look like this. But what happens is you sort of have a mind, a, 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 you know, a, 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 a subconscious view about how how someone you perceive someone and how they would be perceived. It's a trivial point, but I do think it's an interesting example of that.
0: Maybe you could start wearing jeans and t-shirt and sort of break <laughs> the stereotype of what people might expect.
2: <laughs> yes, that, that that is a
1: possibility. <laughs> <laughs> Um, shall we've we talked a lot about like the skills, and I think when um, certainly when we started this conversation was around the role of enterprise uh, in employability, and we started then talking about skills. And I think anyone who hasn't seen Personal Best uh, definitely look it up because it's it's a wonderfully structured program to help uh, students at university, specifically at Loughborough, like, think about all the skills that they're developing and how that can improve. Uh, their mental capacity, but also like, physical skills um, that they're learning from all aspects of their time uh, at the university. What the, the sort of missing piece we haven't spoken about is actually experience itself. And I think certainly from a Loughborough perspective, placements are a huge part of the university. And is it over 50% of students go on to do a placement at the moment? Yeah,
2: so, so we have m- m- more students go on placement during a degree programme, if you take everything from you know a three-month placement over a summer to an annual placement, than any other university in in the country, um, and they're literally all over the world. I mean, in a normal year, uh, we would have 12 civil engineers in Kuala Lumpur, and um, we, we also have we also have half dozen five miles up the road at Rapid Power Station. Um, but the, the the other thing around those placement opportunities, Oliver is we offer them in every single degree programme here. So, of course, you might expect them in automotive engineering or you might expect them in banking and finance. We also offer them in English and history and other subjects as well and quite literally all over the world. I mean, you know, a couple of years ago, when I was travelling the world meeting alumni, I met uh, a couple of Rutherford students who were on placement in China working for Hawkeye. Um, they were students in sport exercise and health sciences. And we all know that Hawkeye is now increasingly used as the as the uh, adjudicator where there are differences in views about a referee's decision. That's a really good example of that. Um, and it's really very important to what we can achieve with our students here. How did it yeah. come about? Was
0: it like um, a set out plan, like, you know, a long time ago that you wanted to do that? Or you saw the success in some programs and then encouraged it to, to expand it out. Why do you think you've got to the point where you offer more than, than anybody else? Presumably you think that's a good thing and you like it and there's obviously some positive benefits. So it'd be good to understand kind of like where it came from and, and why you think it is as good as it is. So so
2: when we when arrived here um, nine years ago, it wasn't something we offered to every single student. So it's now graduation day. And graduation day is the most... Fabulous day at Loughborough. Um, and as students come out of the graduation hall, um, I'm standing with the Chancellor, who, who is Lord Sebastian Coe, Seb Coe, the gold medalist, and local graduate himself. And, and we, Seb and I um, say to students, do you have a job? Oh, yes, I have a job. Do you have a job? Yes, I have a job. Yes, do I have a job? Yes. Um, and, th- 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 these, and then you say to these students, uh, oh, God, who with, oh, it was the company I had my placement with. It was, oh, I'm going back to my placement company. And um, So what a lot of these companies do is take on these individuals, partly to give them road tests, see whether they're potential employees. Now, with degree subjects where we weren't doing that, of course, a goodly proportionate of have jobs, but not as many as in those where we were giving those placement opportunities. So I turned around to my colleagues and said, right, We've got to offer this to all the students. It's going to be a real challenge. I mean, if you walked across our campus, we've got one building and there's um, part of the building is entirely, there's one thing and we've got a significant group of staff. That part building is the building where students go, if they need to, to work with staff so we can help them find placements. The bit that I was actually um, saying earlier as well about the
0: employability sort of fits into oh, what you're yeah, saying yeah. because it's essentially for all the students who go on that, it's an enormous employability program in soft skills and many other things.
2: So absolutely huge. And can I give you a really interesting example of it? And I've got to thank uh, 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 you know many, many organizations who work with us. So uh, we, we, we have an alum, uh, uh, alumnus who, who runs one of this country's very, very successful hedge funds. Um, and I was talking to him a couple of years ago, and I said, Richard, the, the, the only thing I can criticise you for is you don't take a, a, one of our students on placement. Um, and he said, oh, you can't. There isn't role in this company for a, a placement student. I said, no, I said, I disagree with you. I said, what I want you to do is take one in one year. And and, and if, if you're right, I'll apologise but if I'm right, I want you then to promise me you'll always take a student. Okay, yeah, Bob, I'll do that, he says. So uh, we organised this, and, and I can remember it to this day. It was like called Stewart, and he, he went on to work then. Um, and um, I was I was visiting Richard just to do a catch-up because he's a very, very supportive alumnus. And I said, by the way, I said, how's Stewart? And he said, how do you know about Stewart? I said, oh, I and um, know that you took on. and he said oh well it'll be two floors up we'll go on to the floor and you can come and meet him so we go two floors up in the building and the boss walks onto the floor and so of course everyone turns around and says hello Stuart's got his back to the door and as we walk in Stuart turns around and he looks and he says oh V.C. Bob what are you doing here and I said well I've come to check up on you <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and then Richard turns to everyone else on the floor and says, What's Stuart like? And they go, Oh, he's terrible. Oh, he's been the biggest pain. You would not do that if he'd been terrible. They were all laughing and joking and so on and so forth. And and uh, we, we left to go back down to Richard's office. And I said, Has to him. He said, He's been absolutely brilliant. He's only given me one big, big headache. And I said, What's that? He said, Well, the location we're not going go. Uh, for the Christmas party, uh, they they don't accept groups if there's anyone under 21. He was 20, and so we couldn't take him. And the people on his floor said that if he couldn't go, they weren't going to go. I either had to get him in, or we had to go somewhere else for the Christmas party that year. He said, well, we'll always take an intern. So that's a really good example for me about... Your point, it's about these young people, because they are predominantly young people, going into that environment, learning a lot, giving a lot back, but also even in a hedge fund, those individuals can learn and add value to that company and, and, and so on and so forth. And in return, and this is your point, Jack, they learn huge amounts, and it mm. adds very significantly to their employability. That's why we offer a placement to every single student here uh, no matter what their subject background. Two, two questions on that.
0: Why do you think um, um, half of students choose not to do it if they could? And the second question is, um, do you think it would be practical for um, all universities to offer a placement to all students or would that not really be possible?
2: So the answer to your first question is because some don't want to do it because they already know what they want to do in life, or, or they 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 have a path mapped out. So, for example, if you already know you want to become a school teacher, there's no point in going and doing a placement in in the way that that, that I've just described. Um, if you know that you know you want to go and work in the third sector, the voluntary sector what you will tend to do is be a student enough to become involved in what's called action, which is student volunteering. So you get your experience that adds to your employability in in very different ways. And the answer to your second question is, um, I think probably in some universities, the nature of that university is one where those placements wouldn't play out in the same way. So, So let me give you a couple of examples. Uh, There are some universities in the country that have very, very significant numbers of students. King's College London would be an example, uh, which are training to be in health, medicine, or allied healthcare professions. They get that training on the job as part of their degree program. So, so you know, one sees that through in a different way. There are some universities in the country; they tend to be smaller and rather more specialist institutions, but nonetheless. Um, the, the training comes much more as part of the the, the programme that you're studying. The Royal Veterinary College in London, for example, and um, some of the smaller institutions that specialise in music. So there are some universities where it absolutely should be an integral part of the offer. There are other universities where it's not necessary because those skills are delivered through different routes. It's really about horses for courses thing. And then finally, As I say, for some students, the skills that you would develop by being on a placement come through in a different way. The final comment I would just offer is I think what's really important is where students want to do so, they can do those placements in the UK, but where they want to do them, they can go overseas and do those placements overseas as well. Because if if that's what you want to do, you learn so much by spending part of your life in a different culture, in a different community, learning how those aspects of life
1: operate globally as well. Mm. One thing um, one thing we find is also the social pressures as well because often you'll have to, You're in, in second year you'd go and do, you go into housing, you'd be with your sort of three to five people in different houses and by the time you're halfway through your second year, so around about the Christmas break, everyone's thinking about renewing those houses or moving houses and you haven't always heard back from employers by then. So it's a bit of a stick or twist mentality that do you stay with all your friends who are going to carry on if they're not all doing placements uh, or do you all go away on placement and come back? Because the, the, the the sad thing is if you go on placement on your own and all your friends carry on into their third year, there's no one left back. So, you come back to do your, your fourth year and you've got no friends. So, that the, the social pressures of that is, is something that it's a real difficult timing thing. That's interesting. It just, yeah, yeah it's really hard to
2: do. You're absolutely right, Oliver. There is something there where you've got to be careful. And that's one of the reasons why, if they want it, students here who've gone on placement, we guarantee them university accommodation, if they want to come back into university accommodation. So they don't have to worry about signing a contract with a private landlord, but they can ask you, can ask you something else as well. Um, you know, one of the phrases that we, we, we hear about is what, what people call lifelong learning. You know, continuing to, 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 to um, enhance your employability. Now, I think universities have a role to play in that for those who want to go back to their armor later for that opportunity. And, and let me give you. Um, uh, two examples. Um, there will be a point, if you go and work particularly for a large organisation, there will be a point at which you um, are now um, facing clients. It will be the same in your organisation. I, I don't know quite how it works, but maybe there are some who are and there are some who are. Um, once you start doing that, there's a suite of social skills about chatting to, to, to people, about nothing in particular, Um, but that's a skill. We, We both know, all three of us know, there's a skill there. And the other thing is, you know, you're now representing your organisation at a large convention or a large meeting or you're in an environment where you walk into a room where you don't know anybody. It is a skill being able to walk up to people you don't know and say hello and introduce yourself. Uh, Oh, let's go to the other extreme. I'm very lucky. I attend meetings with alumni around the world, or I at at events where because of the privilege role that I have in Loughborough, many people recognize me. Very easy for me to go up and start chatting to people. The skill is uh, being able to leave them and move to go and talk to someone else. Some people find that very hard to do because they've not been taught how to do it. Um, and I think that what... Uh, so, so what's I, the I, trick, Bob, I, Bob?
0: What's the trick? I want to know the trick to that. How do you, how do, you do that?
2: <laughs> Sorry? What's I'll, the uh, trick? I'll, I'll, I'll send you my rates and I'll tell you. Okay, yeah. <laughs> um, but but the, point, the, the, point, the point is this. Um, what we can do is offer students the opportunity, either while they're here or uh, once they've left, the opportunities to develop those skills. Uh, that may sound bizarre, but let me give you an example. Because everybody in the unit, even I, have got a responsibility. So I regularly, during normal times, it's not been possible over the 12, last 12 months, uh, will host dinners. Um, and these are for all sorts of reasons, but I will always make sure there's a group of students there at the dinner. And often because they're student leaders, I, I do accept that. You know, it's a programme president. Or it's the student social sex in the halls or something like that. If they've never been to one before, I meet with them beforehand and I say, This is what you're gonna do, and this is how you're going to do it, and you need to have a chat between now and when you come to dinner about what the conversation pieces are going to be, and so on and so forth. And after the dinner, I always get them together and say how, how did they say, Oh, it was amazing, it was amazing. Why? Well, because if we'd not met with you beforehand and you told us we wouldn't, we wouldn't have that's a set of skills which in my view absolutely enhance your employability. But I wonder how many universities think about that with their students or indeed their graduates in terms of how they can help them. Mm.
1: and um, really fascinating. Uh, really conscious of time as well, Bob. I know we've got you for another seven minutes, I believe. So yeah. um, let's let's Ask you very quick fire questions about what you see as almost the future for universities because this year more than ever the whole online learning distance learning has been enforced. Um, I know love has adapted brilliantly, but how, how do you see the future of universities? Maybe in like 2030? Do you think there'll be a this hybrid approach, or we're going to go back to face to face?
2: So if we just go back to doing things in the way we used to do, we have lost a real opportunity. All of our students tell us the thing that at Loughborough, at least, they miss the most is not being here on the campus. But what we have also learned, uh, you know, this isn't rocket science, this has been known for years and years. Now, a 50-minute lecture where you're all sitting in rows and rows and rows, listening to someone at the front talk, isn't the most stimulating learning environment (laughs) No. There you go. Look at your notes style, like me. From the
1: professor as well. <laughs> yeah,
2: but the question is what have we learned from current technologies? So let me give you an example. I still do a little bit of undergraduate teaching. And in term one, when I was doing my undergraduate teaching, um, the way in which I did it was that I recorded 20 minutes uh, online that was played. And the students had to watch that 20 minutes before the lecture. Uh, They then came into the lecture. Half of them were in the lecture theatre and half of them weren't because the lecture theatre wasn't big enough to have everybody there at a social distance of two metres. This was a two-hour lecture. So what I did was I got them into groups and they discussed the two questions I asked at that first 20 minutes Um, for 15 minutes, and and then we worked through a couple of problems together. Then we had a 10-minute break, and it was a bit longer than that, and it was about 15 minutes, and all the students who'd been in the lecture theatre for the first half left and went online, and all the students who have not all came in, and then what they all had to do was a piece of work where um, they presented to me at the end. So the point was, yes, we all got together, We weren't all in the lecture theatre, but if we could have been, we'd have all been. But what I learned was a blended learning environment where someone's available beforehand where I've recorded it, then you get to then you do working groups. The students absolutely loved it. I would have not, I'll be honest with you both, I would not have done that if it had been a normal year, because I wouldn't have learned the technology um, but I realised that if we were asking my colleagues to do it, I had a responsibility to learn and, 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 and how to do it as well. Look look at this. I, I don't know what it's like with with you two, um, but this time last year I've never used Zoom, um, and <laughs> we're sitting in three different buildings. Um, in I suspect uh, and certainly you you may, both may be in London, but I'm in, in two different parts of the country. And we're having this discussion just as if we're all in the same room. If we don't remember those things and then embed them within a university learning environment, then I think we've lost the real opportunity. Hmm.
1: Yeah, I think
0: it's really, really interesting, yeah, how, how that will go. Um, one question I wanted to ask is um, a question we ask every guest, um, which is, is there anything that we haven't asked you yet that we should have asked you?
2: Anything you haven't asked me that you should have asked me? God, that's interesting. So, not particularly, uh, because you very kindly gave me the opportunity to start to say, but I mean, so, so the only question that I would immediately spring to mind is what's the future for Loughborough? So would you like to ask me that question, Jack? Yeah. What, <laughs> what is the future for Loughborough? That's very kind, Jack. Thank you very much. That's a very interesting <laughs> question. So... Um, We will always be a campus university. It works really well for us, our students love it, and uh, we should be listening to them. A university education here is, of course, your degree is at the heart of it, but it's far more than just your degree. That must continue to be the case. As we've just discussed, uh, the way in which we deliver those degree programmes is bound to change. And we will take the students on that journey with us. We won't just tell them this is what's going to happen. And the final thing, which um, isn't the case with every university in the UK, is if you want a library degree, at some point you will have had to come and study at Loughborough University. We're not saying you have to be for the full, here for the full three years or for the full four years, but we believe that being on the campus and um, engaging in personal best and all of those opportunities that, as we've been discussing earlier today, enhance your employability, they're such an integral part of what we can offer that while we will provide online learning opportunities... One of our principles will be, if you want to study, you've got to come here. And then finally, because this is something which has been a really important principle for us for the last 10 years, we have no plans on growing significantly. I mean, there are some universities over the last 10 years which have grown by about 20 or 30% in size. I believe that one of the things that makes us special is the size of the community here, the things that we can do as a consequence that we couldn't do if we were a university of 25,000 or 30,000. So there will be some innovation and some change, but there will be some benchmarks or some cornerstones, which I believe have been integral to our success, which we're not going to let go of.
1: Fascinating. And thank you so much for that, Bob. Um, Really, really interesting to, to hear all about, certainly your experiences and your vision for the university, how it's played out and... Um, yeah, absolutely fabulous success over your tenure uh, at the university as well, so yeah, thank you so much, much for your time That's um, a pleasure.
2: Thank you very much for inviting me uh, to join you, I thoroughly enjoyed the conversation actually, it's been very enjoyable.
1: Ah, good well um, we'll say goodbye for me
0: and goodbye from me <laughs> For all things early career recruitment the strategies to help you succeed We'll help you work with Generation Z With all the information that you'll need It's the Jack
2: and Ollie Show